Hi, my name is Anna Self, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now, I don't know about you, but that bumper fires me up. Anybody else like that? That's awesome. It gets me going. Now, here's the thing. We're starting a brand new series tonight, and it is called... See, I knew the 5.30 crew was on it. You guys have slept in. You're ready to roll. You got cupcakes. I mean, the 5.30 is awesome. You guys are smart. Yes, we're beginning a brand new series called Lie. And the thing is, I'm really excited about this four-week journey, but I recognize that when I say new series called Lie, not all of you are like, woo, that's awesome. You, you may not be convinced that it's going to be awesome yet. So I just want to let you know from the beginning, here's why I hope that at the end of this gathering, a whole lot of you will say, I'm really glad I came and I'm going to come back next week, and it's this. This series on light is so relevant to where we are in our current world. See, we live in a world filled with darkness, and often the darkness seems to be advancing and even winning. See, just a few weeks ago, violence stemmed from a white supremacist group, and after all our nation has been through, one might think that we would have overcome the darkness called racism. And after studying the Bible, one might think that the church would be leading the way to eradicate racism and ensure that everyone is valued because our God has created everyone in his image. He's given everyone intrinsic value and the ability to make an impact. Our God celebrates diversity and he wants every single human on the planet to be treated with dignity and to be invited into a relationship with Jesus where we can be restored. Yet we still have people who hate others due to the color of their skin while claiming to be Christians. And they claim to follow Jesus while their hateful actions are anti-Jesus. And that's darkness. And the thing is, it seems to be advancing after the end of this most recent event. I think most of us weren't thinking, oh, it's over. We can move forward. No, most of us were thinking, man, when's this going to happen again? See, in our world, the darkness just seems to be winning. And when we look at the good, the bad just simply seems to outweigh it. Now, take the negative equations of people, um, the negative actions of people out of the equation. And many in our nation have suffered. Eric mentioned it just a few moments ago. They've suffered from hurricanes, Harvey and Irma. You have homes destroyed, lives ruined, deaths in some cases. And, and that's darkness. Some of you have family who've endured that, and many of us have friends who've had to go through this. And so amidst all this darkness, it's easy for us to let the darkness creep in and for us to begin to think the world is just simply getting worse and worse, and there's no hope of improvement. And one of the purposes of public church is to be a light that shines the love and hope of Jesus. And this past week, we have been able to do that through our serving. Are we serve local team and, and community groups of partnered to come alongside and serve this week the Lee University golf team, the Lee University women's soccer team, the Bradley Central football team, and the Cleveland State men's basketball team? Isn't it incredible that we've had an opportunity to impact these athletes and to shine the hope and love of Jesus this week? I mean, it's just been a great week. And the thing is, on Tuesday night, we had an event called We Serve. And pictures from that night are just going to be scrolling as I'm talking to give you guys a glimpse of it. And here is the heart of that night. We want to empower more and more and more of us to serve 
And as we serve to shine the light and hope of Jesus. And so as you're looking at these pictures, you're going to see that serving is fun. You see people smiling. You're going to see our teams meeting together and planning. And then we get to the last picture, which is my absolute favorite, which is the donut wall. Look, if anything is light shining in darkness, it's a bunch of donuts on a, a, a pegboard, isn't it? I think it's called a peg corkboard. There we go. Right? Is this not incredible? And so what we did is we wanted to make the event fun. We had donuts. Some of you actually wish you'd came, not because you care anything about serving, but just because you wish you could have some donuts. But we want to make the event fun because God wants us to rally together and to serve in such a way that we can shine and show the world the hope and love of Jesus. But here's the reality. If you take all the serving of our church and all the serving of other local churches in our community and all the good things that people do and add it all up, it seems that the bad still outweighs the good. It seems like the darkness is increasing at a quicker pace than the light. So this is a time that we as a nation need to know if light can overcome the darkness Amidst advancing darkness, we need to know if we should just give up hope or if we can hold out knowing that one day light will win. You know, we haven't even talked about our personal lives yet. And in our personal lives, it often seems like the darkness is just closing in and surrounding us. So we need to know, should we give up or should we hold on? And this series is also relevant because this past week, we remembered one of the darkest days in our nation's history. And a couple of years ago, my wife, Whitney, and I, and our worship pastor, Cody Disney, his wife, we got to go to New York City and, and see the 9-11 memorial. And just to be in that place, it's such a sacred and somber place. And the thing about 9-11 is that amidst all the darkness of terrorism and an attack on our soil, we still saw light shining, didn't we? We saw it in the form of first responders who are risking their lives to rescue people. See, the darkness still shone out in the midst. The light still shone out in the midst of all that darkness. And one of the sayings that's come out of September 11th is that we will never forget. So we want to take just a moment and do that. We want to remember. So there's going to be two questions on the screen, and I want to invite you with your neighbor to simply answer these two questions. Number one, where were you? Now, I recognize some of you may not be old enough to remember, so you can just make something up. But that's okay if you're not old enough to remember. But if you do remember, where were you? And then secondly, what good came out of all the evil? Can you just share something you heard, some good that came out of all that evil? So go ahead and talk to your neighbor. See, the thing is, we've literally in our lifetime seen light win. We have seen light win, but even though we've seen that happen, we're still left with a question, what will happen next time? In other words, can I count on light to continue to win? Because it seems like the darkness is just advancing. And then another question we're left with is, what will happen in my life? We may have seen the light shine in darkness in a faraway place like New York City, but what about in my life? Can the light shine in the darkness that surrounds me? So we want to begin our series by taking our questions to the Bible. And we're going to be in the book of John. So if you have your Bible or Bible apps, you can turn or click over to John chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 4. 
And as you click and turn there, and even as we take our questions of the Bible, I recognize that not everyone in this room is a Jesus follower. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I just want to say that we are so glad you're here. We welcome you, and we want to get to know you and build a relationship with you. And here's why. Because we believe that there is no better environment to ask questions, to express doubts, and to figure out what you think about Jesus than an authentic relationship's form with Jesus followers through his church. And getting into those relationships begins in an environment just like this. And one thing that helps you feel the freedom to pose your skeptical questions is for us to invite those questions in an environment like this. So if you're not a Jesus follower, here's a question you may be asking. It's a question we invite. And it's this, does the Bible have anything of value to say about the battle between light and darkness? Does the Bible actually have anything of value to say about this battle between light and darkness? And a related question you may be asking is this, is there anyone in the Bible who's endured darkness like I have? You may have walked in today and you may be saying, look, the darkness is closing in on me, it's surrounding me, and I don't want to listen to just anybody spout out some message of hope. I want to listen to someone who's been there, to someone who has felt the darkness closing in around them. So is there anyone like that in the Bible? Can anyone in the scriptures write with authority as someone who has seen the darkness closing in and who has seen light win? So as you ask those questions, I really believe that as we go on this journey through this series, that we will all find answers to those questions. And to begin that journey, we start with the, the book of John. And the book of John is written by, see, the fi- smartest gathering by far. You guys definitely, no doubt. But it's written by John. And here's who John is. John is a disciple of Jesus. That means he's a follower of Jesus, and he's one of Jesus' closest friends. And John writes this as an old man, an old man who has seen a whole lot. And for those of us in the room who don't carry the label old, we need to remember that when we are around people who are significantly older than us, that there is always something for us to learn. So I just invite us to approach John chapter 1 as if we were sitting in the very presence of an old man who's one of Jesus' best friends, who's been through, endured a whole lot, and is simply just writing and sharing about what he has learned. So with that mindset, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. In him, in Jesus, was life. So what in the world does that mean? To know what it means, we actually need to go back to verse 3, because verse 3 explains this phrase, in him was life. So look at verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, that's through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. Based on all his experience, here's what John has concluded, that creation came through Jesus. This phrase, anything, literally means one thing. And this is what John means. He means there was not literally, there's literally not one single thing that was created apart from Jesus. In order for us to grasp this, we're going to do something together to help this really sink in, what John is saying. On the count of three, I want to invite us to all just take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three. 
Some of you are tense. Come on, yeah, relax a little bit. Have some fun, laugh, get a massage or something. But the thing is, if we believe what John writes here, then when we go, we should say, thank you, Jesus, because he's the giver of that breath. He's the giver of our first breath. He's the giver of our last breath. He's the giver of every breath in between because he is the source of all creation. And that doesn't just apply to us. That applies to all the scientific laws of nature. Think about all the laws of nature that seem to go on so beautifully and just uninterrupted in the world. Jesus started those and he sustains them every single day. See, John wants us to know that Jesus is the starter and sustainer of creation, that in Jesus is life. But that's not all John means. He, he actually means something more than that. In order for us to understand what else he means by that, we need to look in the mirror. And here's what I mean by that. We don't need to be thinking about who's sitting beside us or who we wish was sitting beside us because who needs to hear this? But we just need to look in the mirror and reflect on ourselves and, and ask the question, do we ever wonder if there's more? Do we ever wonder if there's more? Tennessee football fans, sorry. Yeah, I just had to go there. But I mean, really, last night we're watching the game at about 7.30. We're wondering, is there more? Is there another team to root for? Is there more than just this heartbreak? Anybody with me? If you're a Florida Gator fan in the room, just please be quiet. I can't handle it. But I'm just saying, like, is there more? But we don't just ask that question with our sports teams. The thing is, I think that when we watch one more show on Netflix, when we finally turn it off, we take one last glance at Facebook, one more scroll on Instagram, and we still can't fall asleep, and we're just laying in our bed with just us and the silence. Do we ever wonder, is there more? When we're experiencing the highs of life and the lows of life, you know, there's something about the heights of achievement and the depths of despair that often brings this question up in our souls and leaves us wondering, is there more? And John writes as someone who's old and who's asked this question countless times. And based on his experience, here's what he concludes, that life is found in Jesus. And not just physical life. Yes, he's the starter and sustainer of creation. But John concludes that true life, that the more that we long for is found in a relationship with Jesus. He is the source of life. But, but there's a problem. See, the problem is that, that we've all messed up. We're all broken, and God's standard is perfection. And so if the standard to have a relationship with God is to be perfect, and if we've made one little mistake, and let's be real, all of us in the room made more than just one little mistake, haven't we? So that one little mistake disqualifies us from the standard. See, we're created by God. Life is found in him. We need a relationship with God, but we've disqualified ourselves from that relationship. So we got a problem, but Jesus is the solution to our problem. See, Jesus came to earth never made a mistake. And as an innocent man, he went to the cross, was brutally tortured and murdered, and he died on the cross to become the solution for our problem, the punishment that we deserve. He took, he was our substitute. 
And as a result, when God looks at us, he doesn't just see how messed up we are. He sees Jesus. And through the cross, we have an opportunity to enter into a relationship with God that we desperately need. And that's why you may have heard the phrase that that we are forgiven by his blood. It means that as Jesus literally shed his blood, as he was bleeding and dying on the cross, he gave us a way to be forgiven and enter into a relationship with God. And through that relationship with God, we can find the more we're longing for. We can find life in Jesus. Now, I know that not everyone in this room is ready to find life in Jesus. Not everyone is bought into that saying. And I pray that at some point you get to a moment in your life where you say, Jesus, life is found in you and I surrender to you. But for for some of you, you may be sitting here and the light bulb may have just gone off. You may be thinking, I've been craving more. I've been asking, I need more. There's got to be more to this life. And the light bulb went off and I realize it's Jesus. If that's you, then right now, stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus. And you can just say, Jesus, you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Jesus, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. But Jesus, would you forgive me because of the cross? Would you give me life? Because you rose from the dead, will you give me the more that I long for? Jesus, I am yours. And look, it's not about saying those specific words. It's just about the cry of your heart and having a posture of surrender in your heart. And again, if you're not ready to do that, I pray that you get to that time, that place when you are. And when you get to that moment, all you got to do is just stop and be honest with Jesus and give him your life. And then you can begin to walk in the life, in the more that he offers. See, isn't it interesting that our conversation with light begins with life? Isn't it interesting that our conversation about light actually begins with life because light and life are always connected? Here's how John puts it in the second part of John chapter one, verse four. In him was life, and he says, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Now, this can be kind of confusing, and I actually think John says it more clearly in chapter 8, verse 12. It's going to be on the screen, and I just want to invite us to read this together. Ready? Go. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That Jesus is offering us the light of life because Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, some of you, you hear that and you think, excuse me, my eighth grade science teacher said that the sun was the light of the world. You know, the sun, the thing that burns me when I don't wear sunscreen because I'm really white, you know, it is the light of the world. And I hate my eighth grade science teacher. And you just gave me a reason to legitimately hate my eighth grade science teacher. Some of you have been removed from eighth grade science for a really long time. And now you're like, yes, I can continue to hold on to the bitterness because they were wrong. Look, your eighth grade science teacher was right. The sun is the light of the world, the physical light of the world. You know, we had the eclipse, the moon blocked it, and it got dark. The sun is the physical light of the world. This is an analogy. It's an analogy. And to help us understand this analogy, we have to think about the purpose of light. And to help us think about the purpose of light, here's a question for us to answer with authenticity. How many of you are scared of the dark? 
Raise your hand. Authenticity is a core value here. There better be some hands up. Anybody scared of the dark? I see a few of you guys. My wife, Whitney, her hand better be up. Here's the thing, okay? So for Whitney and Maya's first five years of marriage, we lived about 10 minutes outside of town, and there were no street lights. The only light tonight was the moon and the stars. And so one night, uh, we were talking on the phone. She gets home before me. I'm on my way home, and she says, hey, how far are you away? I'm like, about 10 minutes. All right, I'll sit right here. I'm telling you the truth, okay? The, the door from, from her car seat to the door was from me to Joseph, five feet, okay? That's it. But it was filled with darkness. There was darkness outside her car. There was darkness inside the house. And she was like, mm-mm, not going. So I got home, shined my car lights into the darkness of five feet, people. I'm telling you, five feet. The five feet of darkness, I'll unlock the door, flip on the lights in the house so that my wife can walk in the light into the house. But then I have to come back out, turn my car off, and face the darkness by myself. Any men in the room like relate to that? But here's the other thing we relate to, men. Look, I have married way out of my league. And since I've married way out of my league, I will gladly face some darkness for my bride. Any men with me on that? Okay, right? Amen to that. But here's the thing, darkness is scary. You don't know what's there and you might trip over something or even worse, someone might be there and might attack you. Darkness, it's scary, it's intimidating. Darkness produces fear. And what does light do? Light shines and illuminates the darkness. So look with me back at John 1, 5. It says this, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Look, this one verse is worth all the trouble that you took to get here. If you've had a rough day, if you had to change your schedule to make it to the 5.30, this verse is worth it. Because at the beginning, we asked a couple questions. We asked this question, what will happen next time? In other words, can I count on light to win in the end? And we asked this question, does the Bible have anything of value to say about the battle between light and darkness. And this verse answers both those questions with the resounding yes. This is a theme verse for the series. And it reminds us that darkness may be scary. Darkness may produce fear. Darkness may be intimidating, but darkness cannot win. The darkness cannot overcome the light because light defeats the darkness. Light always wins. And light has been winning since the beginning. If we go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1-3, the very first time God speaks in the Bible, the very first time he speaks, he says the words in yellow. What does he say? Let there be light. And in that moment, the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And light was one to know. Now, just a few chapters into the story in Genesis chapter 3, the first humans, they blow it. God gave them one simple rule, and they broke it. They chose their way over God's. And in that moment, it seemed like darkness was winning. But God made a way for them to be forgiven and still have a relationship with him so that they could find the more that they longed for. So even when the first humans blew it, light still won, and light was 2-0. And throughout history, darkness has tried its hardest to bring fear into the world, to bring ruin into our lives. Think about all the death, all the poverty, all the loneliness, all the broken families in our current world and also throughout all of history. 
And in the midst of all this darkness, God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and take our punishment by being tortured and brutally murdered on the cross. And when Jesus died, darkness rejoiced. And for three days, everybody thought hope had died and darkness had won. But on the third day, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead in a history-changing event that we call the resurrection, and light won. Light remained undefeated because the light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In fact, we opened up our gathering by singing a song called Worthy of Your Name, and in that song, we proclaim this line, that on the day that you arose, darkness ran for cover. Because darkness can never overcome the light. Light has always been undefeated, and light will always be undefeated, and the resurrection proves it. And here's the best news, is that undefeated light has a name, and his name is Jesus. See, light defeats the darkness, and that means that Jesus defeats the darkness, See, in John 8, 12, he said, hey, I am the light of the world. And that tells us that Jesus defeats the darkness. Jesus shines and illuminates the darkness in the world. So if we go back to John 1, 5, which we're going to do, we can substitute Jesus's name in everywhere we see light. And then it reads this, Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. Now, that is a life-changing message that our nation needs to hear. That even in our darkest moment, even when we think it's impossible, Jesus shines, he is the light of the world, and he is undefeated. And the resurrection proves that in the darkest moment in history, when darkness thought, I got him, I've won, I finally overcame, that the darkness can never overcome, and light always wins. And yet some of us, we can hear this. We can hear that Jesus defeats the darkness and we can allow hope to begin to simmer deep in our hearts. But the moment we walk out that door, the darkness just, and it surrounds us. And we're left asking the question, well, what about my darkness? So light defeats the darkness. Jesus defeats the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. But Jesus can you shine in my darkness? Like when the darkness absolutely surrounds me, Jesus, can you overcome that? Because in a lot of our lives, the darkness surrounds us and the darkness is real and it's blinding. So what is the darkness that blinds you? Is it body image? Every time you walk by a mirror, you're just disgusted. Maybe it's led to an eating disorder. Maybe it's not, but it doesn't matter how many compliments you get. You just continue to hate your body. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts, a funk that you just can't seem to get out of, these suicidal thoughts that you just cannot shake. And you wonder, Jesus, can you shine in this? Maybe you're a student and your parents are divorced. And you know that in just a few weeks, you're going to stand before a judge in court and he's going to ask you to decide. 
And you're thinking, Jesus, the darkness is closing in. Can, can you shine in this? Maybe it's abuse. Maybe some of you have been abused in the past by a spouse, by a, a parent, by a family friend, and maybe nobody knows. Or maybe some of you are enduring abuse right now and nobody knows that. And as a result, you feel powerless, worthless, all alone, just dirty. And you're wondering, Jesus, can you do anything about this? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe you, you feel like you're incapable of forming friendships. And you're at the point that if, if you don't get in some authentic relationships soon, you're just going to give up. Maybe it's the lack of a parent. Everybody else seems to have a dad. Everybody else has a mom, but you don't know who your dad is. You don't know who your mom is. The one thing you do know is that if you ever met your dad, you know exactly how you'd hurt him. But you're like, hey, why am I the person who doesn't have parents? Or maybe it's the darkness of death. You wonder, why did my spouse have to get the terminal illness and die? His dad lived. Why did my dad die? His mom lived. Why did my mom die? Why did my brother, my sister, my grandmother, my friend, and the darkness of death just surround you? And in the midst of this very real darkness, we may hear that Jesus is the light of the world, but we wonder, Jesus, can you shine in the darkness that's surrounding me? And if that's you, know that your fears, your questions, your inability to see past the darkness, that's real. In fact, some of you are thinking, Todd, you can stand up here and say the light shines in the darkness and Jesus defeats the darkness, but you don't know my darkness. You don't know what it's like, what I have to go through every day. And look, you're right, I don't know. And I can empathize, but even human empathy has its limits. But here's the thing. Jesus knows. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets the darkness that you have to go through every single day. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the word says exactly that. In Hebrews 4, 15, here's what it says about Jesus. Since then, for it says, for we do not have a high priest. That's Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus knows what it's like to face darkness that's even more intense than yours. And I don't say that to minimize your darkness in any way, but to help us see that when Jesus endured the cross, that the full force of hell and the devil himself and all that darkness was unleashed on him and he endured it. He knows what it's like to have it surrounding him and yet the resurrection proves that he overcame it and Jesus defeats the darkness. See, he gets it. And so that's why verse 16 is so comforting to us. In Hebrews 4, 16, it goes on to say, because Jesus gets it, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You may wonder, is there anyone in the Bible who knows what it's like to live the life that I live, to go through the darkness that I endure? Jesus knows and Jesus has open arms and he says, hey, would you let me shine in your darkness? Would you bring your questions, your doubts, your skepticism about whether 
I can overcome the darkness. Would you bring that to me? That's Jesus's invitation to us. And so we want to have an opportunity to do that tonight through communion. See, here's what communion is. Communion is a forced reminder of the cross. And so if we're going to take our darkness to Jesus, take the questions about whether he can overcome our darkness to him, then it starts by looking at the cross and remembering the darkness he endured. So when we take the piece of bread, we are forced to remember his body that was brutally just beaten and tortured on the cross. We're forced to remember the darkness. And then when we take the cup, that cup represents his blood that was literally just pouring out for us. And we remember that darkness that he endured. And physically, life is found in the blood. And as we take the cup, we're reminded that true life, the more we long for, is found through the blood of Jesus and the opportunity to be forgiven and enter into a relationship with him. So we want to take communion. And as we do, we just want to begin to say, Jesus, would you begin to shine in my darkness? Here's my questions. Here's my doubts. I'm taking them to you because you get it. And so as we do that, just a couple thoughts about your darkness is that if part of your darkness is depression or suicidal thoughts, then I just want to say that a huge part of Jesus shining your darkness is a Jesus following counselor. At Public Church, we believe so strongly in counseling. I've been to counseling. And so if you're here and you're struggling in those ways, please reach out to us. I'll be underneath the exit sign. And after the gathering, we have people from the refuge room that would love to talk with you and get you connected with the Jesus following counselor. So that through that counselor, Jesus can begin to shine in the darkness surrounding you. And if part of your darkness is abuse, or if part of your darkness is that, then know that we need the authority the freedom can offer and the healing a counselor can offer. And again, talk to me and we'll get you connected with people from the refuge room who can help you get connected to the local authority so you can get freedom and get connected with a counselor so you can find the healing that we need. See, Jesus is offering us the chance to give him our questions and to let him shine. And so the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna ask three questions that, that help us begin to let him shine in our darkness and lead us into communion. The first question is this, am I a Jesus follower? So you don't have to be a member here to take communion, but you do need to be a Jesus follower. So if you're not a Jesus follower, take a moment. You can surrender to him. You can step into the more he offers right now. And then you can come up and take communion for the very first time. You can let the light shine in you. And so am I a Jesus follower? And the second question is this, is there sin in my life that I've not owned and turned from? See, if you're here and there's something that, that you're doing in your life and you know it's sin and you just like it and you have no plans to stop it, then communion's not for you. But if you're here and you feel like the darkness is closing in and you take one step forward and two steps back, then would you just take communion as a cry to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to shine in the darkness, in the sin that I can't seem to overcome. Would you overcome it for me, Jesus? And take communion in your cry to him. And then the third question is, am I unified with other Jesus followers? See, darkness often tries to enter our lives through broken relationships. 
So if you have broken relationships with someone in this room or someone in your life, maybe you need to send a text. Maybe you just step out and make a phone call and have a meeting this week. Maybe you need to walk across this room. But we want to let the light shine even amidst relational darkness and overcome even that. So these questions lead us to action because it's my heart and it's our leadership's heart that as many of us as possible can take communion tonight, be forced to remember the cross, to think about the darkness that Jesus endured and to see through to the light of the resurrection. So take a few moments and reflect. And when you're ready, I invite you to just come up to one of these great people, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and you can go anywhere in this space and take communion. We love for families to take it together just because we think that's really special. But this is our opportunity to say, Jesus, here's my questions. Would you shine in the darkness around me? So Jesus, we need you. And Jesus, we need you to shine in the darkness that surrounds us. The darkness that feels like it may have never even seen a glimmer of light. Would you begin to shine in that? Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you get it and give us the courage to present our questions and our fears to you. In your name we pray, amen.